You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville is going to be sworn in on January 3rd, already making noises that he may prompt Senate action on the objections from the House to the electors that have been sent from states where there are still a lot of questions about the validity of those votes cast, the procedures, uh, the authorities for elections officials to make changes to the voting process itself. Tommy Tuberville giving a statement that essentially reads, hey, the House is going to get this thing going and we should have to deal with it in the Senate. And I totally agree. Here's my hot take. I know Tommy Tuberville. He is the river boat gambler. That's what they called him when he was the coach uh, at Auburn. He was a guy willing to go for it on fourth down a lot, willing to take a risk. And uh, he might have just the moxie to do this. Now, it is quite something to expect a senator-elect, you know, a someone who's been a member of elected office for just a matter of days to stand up and be the one to show this courage. Uh, frankly, I'd like to see maybe some other members of the Senate express uh, their intention to join in the objections from the House in the specific places where there is a need for debate about the irregularities. But if Senator-elect Tuberville sees the opportunity, sees the opening, he might be just the type of guy to take it. Uh, the other thing about him is I think he's got a really good relationship with the president. Uh, and this is about more than any one president or any one election. It's about whether or not when you have a pollution of the electoral process, is that worthy of deliberation at a factual level by someone? And the preference would have been that the Article Three courts step forward, exert their jurisdiction, hold evidentiary hearings, and then make determinations on the evidence. Unfortunately, we didn't really have a court willing to exercise its jurisdiction. They were largely granting motions to dismiss based on the sufficiency of pleadings, not based on the validity of the evidence. So if we had that evidentiary discussion and debate in the House and in the Senate, uh, I know Jim Jordan and I will be ready for it, along with folks like Andy Biggs and Jody Heiss and Scott Perry, who've got a lot of information from Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, that I think the public deserves to hear. And I think it deserves a robust debate in Congress. I mean, if some dispute over Ohio in 2005 deserved a debate, certainly what we've seen in this last election does as well. So Tommy Tuberville right now, uh, maybe I would say offering up a political weather balloon to see how the other senators will react to see how the public will react. And he'll have to balance out some frustration from Mitch McConnell, maybe some resentment for his fellow Americans uh, to being a, a hero to the tens of millions of Americans who believe that the irregularities, the fraud, the departure from procedure and authority in this last election at a minimum deserves a debate in the United States House of Representatives and Senate. President Trump has retweeted an article from Breitbart that's quite interesting. New Peter Strzok texts undermine official narrative on start of Russia collusion investigation. It's by Joel Pollack. And these newly released text messages are offered up by Homeland Security Committee Chairman Ron Johnson uh, and Senator Chuck Grassley. And in the new texts, uh, you see 
how Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are discussing open counterintelligence investigations regarding Trump and Russia on July 28, 2016. Now, the reason that's significant is that up until now, we've been told, even by senior officials at the Justice Department, that the Trump-Russia counterintelligence investigation started on the 31st of July after they got the tip from Downer with Papadopoulos, which was itself a setup. You see, what Papadopoulos has been saying is that this was not some organic reporting from Downer back through the Western intelligence channels to the United States. It was actually the United States that had recruited Downer to go and try to entrap Papadopoulos into admissions that he never ended up making. And of course, since Papadopoulos wasn't involved in any criminal conspiracy with Russia, they had to charge him with this ancillary crime of not being honest with the FBI. But if you go to prison for not being honest with the FBI, what happens when the FBI and the Department of Justice aren't honest with the rest of us, which is clearly evidenced by these text messages? It wasn't true when the FBI and Department of Justice said the Trump-Russia investigation began on the 31st of July, because in text messages on the 28th, they're talking about existing open counterintelligence investigations. We should know the truth about this effort to destabilize our president and the presidency, but sadly, given just the effectiveness of the deep state to maintain control at the Department of Justice, we may never truly find out who was so willing to pervert the DOJ and the FBI for political reasons that they did immeasurable damage to our country. As the result of a widespread doping scandal, Russia has been banned from using its flag or anthem at the Olympics and world championships through the year 2022 that halves the term of years of their prior punishment. The Associated Press, Graham Dunbar, has the story. Russia will not be able to use its flag or anthem at the next two Olympics or any world championships for the next two years after a ruling Thursday by the Court of Arbitration for sports. Now, Russia does get a small win. They are allowed to have the name Russia on the uniform so long as neutral team or neutral athlete are displayed with equal prominence. Now, the uh, history of the Russian teams and doping is well documented. Uh, the ruling does allow Russian government officials, including Vladimir Putin, to attend major sporting events if invited by the host's nation state. Uh, very interesting uh, review of the facts uh, in that case and just truly how widespread it was uh, and how many athletes and coaches were involved. It was the national strategy of Russia to cheat at the Olympics. They got busted. Now, no flag, no anthem. No swath of tens of millions of Americans are deplorable or non-essential. Every job is essential to the family that relies on that job, to the person who's using that job to build a better life, a stepping stone to a career or another opportunity for prosperity. There was a great segment on Sean Hannity's program last night with Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs guy, just about the frustration that is really bubbling up around the country among the people who have been told by their government that their livelihood is somehow less worthy than the livelihoods of others 
Take a listen to Mike Rose hot take. Here's the question. What what did Joy Behar, Candace, Pete, you and me all have in common? I'm listening. The government has deemed us all essential. Incredibly. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've That's true. I've, I'm not essential I've to anything. Worked. Yeah. I've worked every day in my chosen field since March in some way, shape, or form. I've done it cautiously. I've taken precautions and followed protocol, but I have worked literally every day. Consequently, I'm, I'm making my bills and my people are employed. And when I see you talking to guys like that, and I mean, it's been a slow burn for me, to be honest, but I have come to the point where, you know, Candace mentioned irredeemable and deplorable. There's a new word for 40 million people in this country non-essential. And it's crazy. We have deemed a giant hunk of our people essentially one click away from unimportant or worthless. What happens to an economy when you call men like those non-essential people? The fact that you and I are allowed to work in our chosen field, and they can't, is just another example, in my opinion, of a big cookie-cutter approach in the name of public safety, where we treat everybody basically the same except for the essential folks. And this is weird for me to say, Sean, because I, I hosted the granddaddy of essential shows. You know, Dirty Jobs and Deadliest Catch really are about essentiality. But during this pandemic, I've, I've seen firsthand that everybody is essential to somebody, even if you're just working to pay your own bills. Hey, so Mike. something is going on here that is that is fundamentally upside down. And the fact that these policies are now being instituted by leaders who have shown themselves to be the very definition of rank hypocrisy is, I'm afraid, going to lead us into a place where it's going to be very difficult to get the poop back in the goose. Drinking red wine and eating cheese could reduce cognitive decline. We get the story from the New York Post's James Legate. Wine and cheese could protect against cognitive decline, according to research from an Iowa State University study published in November 2020 in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. And it studied the intake uh, and how that impacted brain function over a four-year period with adults ages 46 to 77. So if wine and cheese uh, protect you against cognitive decline, I should be in excellent shape upstairs for the long term. Brad Palumbo has a piece in fee.org. Gallup poll, Americans' mental health hits 20-year low ahead of renewed lockdowns and certainly makes the argument that uh, the public health impacts of lockdowns have to include an analysis of mental health. Uh, this is the lowest Americans have rated their mental health, according to Gallup, in 20 years. 34% of respondents said that their mental health was excellent, which is down nine points from just last year. Similarly, 85% of Americans had rated their health as good or excellent in 2019, just 76% did this year. So clearly a diminution in how folks are viewing their conditions, and it's easy to see why. 
with so many governments engaging in these reactionary policies that seem to pit one industry against another, uh, one neighbor against another, uh, and it hasn't been cooperative. And I think that that's because far too many politicians view these pandemics as an opportunity to exercise power and show responsiveness rather than showing leadership. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. This show is written, produced, and directed by a team that includes myself, Luke Ball, and Joel Valdez. And because we've got a few federal holidays coming up and the Christmas break, New Year's, I got some staff taking some leave time here and there, this will be our final show of calendar year 2020. So to make sure you're with us for our new season relaunch in 2021, subscribe on your podcast listening platform of choice. We hope you've enjoyed these episodes. And if you have, take just a moment, give us that five-star rating on your listening platform of choice. Helps us move up in the rankings, helps other folks see the content. And we hope you'll be back with us because in 2021, we're going to work in some new features, uh, see if we can gussy up the podcast, enhance the listener experience. But as always, I'll be breaking down the news of the day each and every day with more hot takes. Hot takes.